0: Well, Good morning. As uh, you could see there at the end, that is a video that Voice of the Martyrs put out because today is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And I know that's probably not something that we think about a whole lot around here, but it's something that is a reala- reality to so many brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And so this is according to Open Doors Ministry. And I just <clears throat> want to share Uh, A couple stats about what is going on worldwide. So first off, we have a map of the world here. And all of those colored countries are where persecution occurs just because you would be here today. Just because you would be professing faith in Jesus Christ. The orange ones means that they have pretty bad persecution. And if you're able to tell different shades, then the red ones are that they have extreme levels of persecution. So some stats about persecution in the church worldwide. Over 350 million Christians face persecution today throughout the world. Last year alone, 5,621 Christians were martyred just because they professed faith in Jesus Christ and refused to recant that faith. One in seven Christians in the world are persecuted. So that's saying that, A a room this size 20 of you would be persecuted just because of your faith in Jesus Christ. In Africa, the number is 1 in 5. In Asia, the number is 2 in 5. So you're hitting about 40% there. North Korea, according to Open Doors, is the most hostile country towards Christians. And then this last one is the one that kind of surprised me. Since 1993, the number of countries that are hostile towards Christians has nearly doubled to a total of 76. So in 30 years, we have almost doubled the nations that are hostile towards Christians. And there's only 195 countries in the world. So we are almost at half of the countries in the world are hostile towards believers. May we not take what we get to do here freely and openly for credit or for a for granite, whatever the word is, may we not make this some little thing that God has blessed us to live in a country that we are able to freely proclaim Jesus Christ is savior of our lives and that we have no fear about it. May we also have the faith and the strength that so many brothers and sisters around the world have that they're willing to go to death because of that. So I'm gonna ask if you'll join me as we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and also for our own hearts. So Father God, we just come before you, and I want to first just give you all praise and glory, because we're here, and God, we are able to openly proclaim your name. God, we are able to freely have this opportunity to worship together right now, and God, so often we just take that um, just as a routine and as what we're going to do today, but God, May it not be that. May it be a time for us to hone in on who you are and to focus on you. And God, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are living lives for you and God, they are doing it at the risk of life and death and at the risk of torture and torment. And so God, I pray, strengthen them and their faith. God, be with them, help them know that they are fighting the good fight of faith, and God, that they are just going to receive the eternal inheritance that is worth far more than all the wealth of this world together. And God, may we have that same faith, that whatever comes our way, um, no matter what, if it's good times or bad, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and may we live for you no matter what the cost. So God, I just pray that as you speak, Through me, this morning, may it be a message that aligns our hearts with you, and that we see just how good and awesome you are, and that we are encouraged in our faith. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I don't know, anybody ever been to space? No astronauts in here. Thankfully, technology allows us to go into space without actually leaving planet Earth. And if you ever look at a picture of Earth, we live on a beautiful planet. This beautiful, we have a picture here just in case you've never seen a globe or anything like that. Um, It is a beautiful blueberry floating around, this massive sun that could destroy us if we were any closer to it and freeze us if we were any further. God in his just sovereignty and knowledge did everything the perfect way that he could. And so here we live on this beautiful little earth. You can see yourself, smile and everything. You're happy. And it's beautiful. But have you ever zoomed in on earth? And I'm not talking about just like literally, like if we could zoom in on that, but think about what's going on on this beautiful planet where you have wars going on. Israel and Hamas, Ukraine and Russia. You have other countries trying to be overthrown. You have coups. You have disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. You have famines. This beautiful earth and you zoom in on it and you just see destruction, violence, heartache. These are some of the headlines that you probably could read if you kicked on the news today. World powers collide in war. 10,000 displaced as nation is ransacked. World power invades smaller neighboring country. Political leadership is puppet for foreign country. Civil unrest as legitimate leader loses the throne. Foreign power meddles in country's political leadership. Any of those sound like common headlines that maybe you've read? That that's what you look in as you zoom in on this beautiful country. And you see unrest. You see just things that would possibly cause terror in your lives. And have you ever read those headlines and just ask the question, how much longer can we continue on like this? I mean, you hear threats of World War III, and I I hear that World War, not to freak you all out, but that World War III is going to be the war to end all wars. That it's going to be the nuclear just explosion of the world and we're literally going to kill everybody and it's like man you read about that and it's like oh my goodness what's going on and the question is how much longer can we survive like this before we hit that boiling point but the thing is is this is not a new question that we're asking because in reality each one of those headlines that I read was not from today's newspaper it was from about 2,800 years ago During the time of Habakkuk, where the Israeli Today news, they didn't actually have that, but if they did, it would have said each one of those headlines, where you have Assyria invading Israel, you have Babylon invading Judah, you have Egypt and Assyria and Babylon all colliding for war, you have the Babylonian exile, you have the Egyptians coming in, killing Josiah, and now meddling in Israel's leadership while they take away Israel's king and they say we're going to put this puppet king in place and that is what is going on at the time that Habakkuk writes his prophecy as we're going to be in the prophecy of Habakkuk or Habakkuk however you want to say it today you could say it with a real emphasis Habakkuk sorry uh are you awake (laughs) but that's what's going on Because you had the political greatness of Josiah, where he was the most righteous king during Judah's reign. And then towards the end of it, you have Babylon rising to the scene as their empire is taking off. Assyria's is dwindling, and Egypt is like, we're going to come help Assyria fight Babylon, but we got to cross through Israel to get there. And Josiah is like, yo, what y'all doing crossing through our property? That's the way they spoke back then. And it's like, what are you guys doing crossing our land? I'm coming out to fight you. And they're like, whoa, our beef is not with you. Don't come to battle because God has sent us. And if you come, it's not going to end well for you, Josiah. And Josiah says, no, I'm coming and I'm going to fight you. And they actually kill Josiah, which now means that Egypt gets to be the ruler of Israel. And so Israel, Judah, same country at this time, Israel, the northern kingdom has gone. So Judah at this time is like, well, we're going to appoint Jehoahaz as our king, but he kind of posed a threat to Egypt. And so Egypt was like, no, we don't like that. We're bringing him to Egypt. He's going to be imprisoned. We are going to put Jehoiakim as the king over you. And really, he just holds the throne. He doesn't make the rules. We get to make the rules. That's what's going on as Habakkuk is writing this. And during that time, Jehoiakim does evil in the eyes of the Lord so that Habakkuk has this conversation with God. And he writes it out for us. And we get to see this question of how long, God? How long can this go on before we just implode? What is going to happen? And so Habakkuk, when you read the prophecy, it's a little different than other prophecies because it is that. It is this conversation between God and Habakkuk. We get to see the heart of Habakkuk and we get to see God's response. If ever it was like, man, I wish that I could see God responding to some of the questions that we have, Habakkuk is that, where you ask how long and God actually responds. Now tonight we're going to talk about this a little bit more and if i'm honest i don't like the responses but we'll talk about that tonight and how god's responses are still better but talking about habakkuk if you like to fill out your information your your bulletins there habakkuk we don't have a specific date on it it's not like 812 bc what we do know is that it is before babylon has invaded judah It's right there as Josiah, he's gone to battle with Egypt, he dies, so now they put Jehoiakim in there, and he is doing evil, and it is right before the Babylonian exile. And so now they have this puppet king, Jehoiakim, who Jeremiah, in his prophecy, actually said bad things about Jehoiakim. He did not like him. He despised him. He was like, you are a terrible ruler. I despise that you are our king. And so under Jehoiakim, there's just evil happening. And so Habakkuk pins this prophecy. And there's the context that I wrote for you. We won't go through all of that, but it's just kind of a brief Survey of what's going on at that time But really Habakkuk can be divided into two parts It's three chapters, a real quick read But it can be divided into two parts The first part is Habakkuk's conversation with God We get to see the discourse between God and Habakkuk Because Habakkuk, right away, after saying who wrote it He says, how long, O Lord, Habakkuk chapter 1 O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear. You ever feel like that's the case? God, I have cried out to you. God, I have poured out my heart to you and it just feels like you're not there. How long will I cry out to you and you not hear? Or how long will I cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. This is what he's seeing. This is the context that he's living in. There's violence, destruction, wickedness. He's crying out, but it seems like God is not responding. He says, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So, ju- as, so justice goes forth perverted. God, they're taking what you said and they're perverting it. They are taking your law and turning it for their own gain, for their own wickedness. How long, oh Lord, must this go on? And the great thing is we get to see God's reply here. And God replies by saying, hold on Habakkuk, I'm about to do something mighty and powerful. I'm about to reveal just who I am. He says in verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Do any of you have that on a coffee mug? I mean, I'm telling you, if there's a coffee mug statement, that is the one that I want to see of, behold, I'm about to do something mighty and powerful, and I can sit there like, ooh, God's about to do a work, sipping my coffee. But that's also one of those misinterpreted passages, because what's the context here? Habakkuk is like, God, how long before you bring forth your judgment? And he says, just hold on, Habakkuk. You're about to witness something that you would not believe if you had not been told about it. There is a judgment that is coming upon. I am going to do something mighty, and I'm about to do something powerful. And that country, Babylon, those Chaldeans, they're going to be the source of my judgment. I am raising them up, and I am going to send them through Judah, and they are going to cleanse all of that perversion that God is saying it's about to happen. You are going to see my hand of judgment, and it's going to be used through the Babylonians, this mighty empire that has come really out of nowhere. So this leads Habakkuk to respond to God with another question. Verse 13, he says, whoa, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong." why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? The translation here, you're going to use them? Like, they're worse off than we are. Like, I get it, God. Like, we're not that good. So how long before you bring judgment? But whoa, hold on. You are going to use an even more and wicked nation than we are. How are you able to do that? This would be like If today the church started crying out, God, America is turning their back on you. How long before you execute your judgment and God says, you know what? There's this country called North Korea and they're gonna come through and they're gonna be my method for judgment upon the church. And it's like, whoa, they're like the worst country towards Christians. How would you use them? Like, can't you use our friendly neighbors to the North Canada and they just come in and are like real polite to us or something? Like not North Korea, But yet that's what God says. He says, I'm going to use Babylon. And so Habakkuk is like, whoa, not them. But then God replies back to Habakkuk. And he says, oh yeah, I'm using Babylon. But their time is coming. That even though they're going to be used to cleanse the house of God and the people of God, their time is going to come as well that I will execute my judgment against them. But you, Habakkuk, and the people who are called by my name, you're called to live by faith. That's how you live your life. So that's the first section, is that conversation between Habakkuk and God. And then the chapter three, after Habakkuk hears all of this, he's just like, oh God, you are awesome, you are mighty, you are deserving of all praise, so I'm gonna give you that. I'm going to write a song and I'm going to praise you for who you are. I'm going to sing about how you are a God of justice and how you are a God of sovereignty and how you always are faithful to your people. And so through his song, he reminds himself of the exodus. He reminds himself of what happened whenever they were under the control of Egypt, a wicked nation, and God came and led the people out. And he is reminding himself that God is great. He's looking back at how God delivered the people from Egypt. And so therefore, he is looking forward to how God will also deliver the people from Babylon. He's looking at the past faithfulness of God to hold to the future promises of God. That, okay, God, you were faithful back then, so therefore I know that you are going to be faithful here. He says, everything else around me may fail. He says, I may not have any oxygen in my lungs, I may not have any food in my storage, I may not have any house over my head, any bed to lay on, but God, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. Even if everything around me fails, I'm going to live for you. Psalm 73, 25 and 26 says that even, oh my goodness, it was just right there. (laughs) I lost it. But he he pretty much says, though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is my strength and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. It came back to me. But that's what Habakkuk is saying. You can take my 401k. You can take my house. You can take my freedom. You can take everything that I have, but I have God, and that cannot be taken away from me. And so, therefore, God, I'm going to praise you. That should be our response. Habakkuk's response to these questions of, God, how long? Well, very soon, Habakkuk, it's going to happen. Oh, but God, why are you going to work through them? Well, you see, Habakkuk, I'm sovereign, and I'm good, and I'm God. And so then it's like, okay, you're right. You are God. So therefore, God, I am going to praise you. I'm going to hold fast to your salvation. I'm going to rejoice that that's what I have in you, that nothing can be taken away from me. This is your blueprint for this week. When you read those headlines and you see the next catastrophe that happens, you see the next unrest that happens, you see the next thing that just kind of puts that pit in your stomach, and you're like, oh my goodness, how much longer? You know what? how we respond as God's people? We praise God. We see God for who he is, and we live for him. Asaph did this very thing in Psalm 77, because he was like, God, it doesn't even feel like you're hearing my prayers. It doesn't even feel like you're there. Verse 1 and 2, he says, I cry aloud to you, God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Comforted. And then in verse 7, he says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He's like, God, it feels like you're not even liking me right now. It feels like we're not even together. I feel distant from you. He says, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? And then in verse 11, he says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I do whenever I feel we're not led by feelings, we're led by God's truth. And that's what Asaph does. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. God, when everything else around me is collapsing, when I'm wondering if you're even near, what do I do? I look back at your faithfulness and I remember you are a God who never breaks a promise. And therefore, God, I can praise you. That's how Habakkuk answers this in the pivotal moment. That it's actually not Habakkuk; it's God that responds to Habakkuk when Habakkuk is like, "God, um, everything looks terrible, and it almost looks like you're about to make things worse by sending the Babylonians in." And God responds with Habakkuk chapter two verse four. He says, "Behold," he's talking about Babylon. His soul is puffed up; it is not upright within him. But the righteous, my people. Those who believe in me, those who trust in me, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous are called to live not by what we see, but by what we believe, by what we know to be true through our faith in God. You see, we look around the world. Habakkuk was doing that. He was looking around the world and he was thinking, God, have you lost control? We look around the world and it's like God, do you really have control over everything? God, um, I know what your word says, and it kind of looks like you're wrong right now. That's what our sight wants to tell us. But how many times has your sight led you astray? How many times have your feelings, emotions? How many times, honestly, have your senses led you astray? Quick example: This was a thing that just blew up the internet a handful of years ago. What colors the dress? Do you understand that question? If you don't, uh, you must not have internet back in the day. But it was this dress, and it was either like gold and blue or black and white or something like that. I don't remember the colors, but people were flipping out over that. There were arguments over, no, my eyes are seeing it, and this is the color. But yet other people are like, "Nah, my eyes are seeing it, and this is the color. Both people looking at the exact same image, somebody's senses are yelling or are, are lying to them. And yet we trust these things, especially in a day of AI, artificial intelligence, where it used to be seeing is believing, and anymore even what you see, you can't even believe half the time. Because we need a deeper truth than what society and even what our own senses are telling us. We need the truth. God's word is truth. And Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth truth and so what we do even when we look at what is going on and it's like oh my goodness that's crazy it looks like it's all going to hell we trust in God we fix our eyes on him because the righteous don't live by what we see we live by faith we understand we're not citizens of this world because honestly if if I were to just base it all on perception And I look at 5,621 Christians lost their lives. I don't know the deaths they went through, but my mind can play some pretty good what-if-isms, and it's not good. And it's like from a perceptive standpoint, they suffered horrendously, and then they died. And if all you're doing is basing it off what you see, they gain nothing. But again, the righteous live by faith. And so what we know is that God's word tells us that we are to inherit an eternal kingdom that cannot be taken away from us. We are actually told throughout the New Testament that when these things come, we don't get despair, but instead we take courage, that we find hope, and that even they're so bold as to say we rejoice in those circumstances. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter is saying, beloved, he's writing to people who are exiled, they don't even have a home right now, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening, he says, don't be shocked, Whenever you face trouble, troubles, I heard a sermon recently, and they were talking about this, this American lie that is happening to us right now. And we think everything should be up into to the right in America. Meaning that if there's a chart, up and to the right means there's improvement. It's not the ebbs and flows. It's not a cycle. Everything, like health, I need to live longer. I need to live healthier. I need to live wealthier. I need to live happier. Everything needs to go up and to the right. Reality says the opposite. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's a time to rejoice and a time to mourn, a time to laugh, a time to cry. He goes on and he says, this life goes like this. You're going to suffer trials. You're going to suffer hardships. And what American culture is trying to tell you is, no, no, not you. Just work harder, gain more, earn more, whatever it is. And what Peter is telling you is, don't be surprised because it's coming. Do not be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 36. He says that, you know, all these other ones leading up to 36, like the the patriarchs and all of them, they received these great things. Like they acted in faith and it's like, yeah, good stuff happened. Like they were delivered from the lions. They came out of the fiery furnace. They walked on water. They they did all this great stuff. That's the faith I want to have. But in, then he makes the shift and he says, he, he says right before this, mothers received back their dead. And then the shift, others, they suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not wa- worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains in dens and caves of the earth, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That is, like if you want to profess Christ, the reality is difficulties are going to come your way. But Paul tells us in Romans 8, I do not consider that the sufferings of this present time are worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like, yes, you're going through struggles. Yes, Christians on the other side of the world are losing their lives, they're being imprisoned. They are suffering persecution. And Paul would look them in the eyes and says, there is an eternal glory that is far greater than the current sufferings. He says, hold fast to that. Second Corinthians four, Paul says, we do not lose heart, even though that's the way we wanna go. We read about this stuff, oh man. I'm losing heart. He says, nope, that's not what we do. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not live by what we see. The righteous live by faith. That's repeated three times in the New Testament. That the righteous are going to live by faith. Again, you look at the world and it looks bad. But we hold to our faith that the writer of Hebrews tells us at the very beginning of 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what we do is we live by faith. How do you live by faith? You look at the past faithfulness of God, and therefore you hold to the current promises of God. So the past faithfulness of God. For 4,000 years, God was promising a Messiah. He was saying you are separated from God. You are You are slaves to your sin, you are slaves to your own desires, that you have no hope, you are without God. He said for 4,000 years, that is how it was. And he said, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to send my Messiah. And he he will make all things new. And so we look back and we see God was faithful. That he has never broken a promise. He says even when you are unfaithful, he is still faithful. He has never broken a promise. Hebrews tells us it is impossible for God to lie. So we look at all the ways that God has been faithful in the past, and therefore we see that God is still currently faithful and that God will continue to be faithful. So that when we look to the cross, we are able to see because he did that, I know there is that eternal glory waiting for me. I know that these light and momentary afflictions that are not even worth comparing to the eternal glory that is waiting for me are going to come. I know that I can hold to him, to Jesus, and that they can take my life, they can take everything I have, but I have hope beyond that all, that I stay in firm. Currently, I'm reading through uh, Hebrews in my daily reading, but also just I've been working through the Old, the New Testament. And throughout it, you know what is a repeated phrase, specifically in Hebrews, though? Hold fast. Stand firm. And then through Hebrews, a reoccurring phrase is, you have a confidence. You have an assurance. You have a steadfast anchor of your soul. That that's what we land on. Though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is my strength and my portion. This world has nothing I desire besides you. I live not by what I see, because what I see is transient, but what I don't see. I live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And when you do that, you're able to continue on in what Peter tells us. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that are coming your way. And then in verse 13, he says, but rejoice. Like, hold on, Peter. This isn't like you just won the lottery here. You like that's reason to rejoice. Or the birth of a new child or a wedding or anything like that. He says whenever sufferings come upon you because of Jesus, you know what your attitude should be? Rejoice. He says rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We are able to rejoice because again we live by faith the faith that we have an eternal dwelling that this world cannot even hold a candlestick to that it is far greater that i heard one pastor say it this isn't me but he said that when we get to heaven and we see everything that is there the eternal glory the the presence of jesus our new glorified bodies all of that, and we look back at the sufferings that we went through in this world, and let's be honest, what we go through in America is extremely minor compared to what they go to overseas. But even them, even the worst ones that have had nails removed and like they did the like slow, meticulous death, like death by a thousand cuts, and it was terrible. Like the worst thing you can think of, that when we see the eternal glory and we see the moment that that happened, we will look back and be like, I would do that a million times over if I knew this is what was waiting for me. That we see, and it is like, this is worth far greater than everything this world has to offer. That when we have that hope, the writer of Hebrews tells us, therefore brothers, since we have this, again, confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, He's saying we have that confidence. This is not something that I'm sitting there like, oh boy, I don't know. Like I really I really want that toy for Christmas, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. So I'm banking a lot on it, but uh, I bought a lottery ticket and I, I really want to win, but I might not and I'm going to be devastated if I don't win. It's not that kind of hope. It is a hope of saying this is happening. I know it's going to happen. I have faith it's going to happen because I look back 2,000 years ago where God did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all. He was faithful all the way up to putting his son through the worst death imaginable, suffering its shame, being removed from the presence of God because he took on the sin of the whole world. God was faithful through that. So therefore, because God was faithful, I know God's going to be faithful in the future. I know that I have an eternal hope waiting for me. Hebrews 10, 19 says we have confidence. And because of that, we get to approach God's throne. Now we're gonna close on this. Chiefs game is over, so I can keep you all as long as I want right now. Just kidding. We're wrapping it up. But we get to approach God with confidence, not as servants, not as a employee goes to his employer, but as sons. That Romans 8, 23 tells us not only the creation saying that it's groaning for the return of Christ, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope nobody hopes for what they know is going to happen but instead for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience he says you are sons and it's because of jesus christ that you can confidently live in this life that what habakkuk shows us is that we have confidence in this life to go through whatever this world throws at us but we also have confidence in this life that we have an eternity waiting for us so that we'll close with this Romans 8 31 through 39 Paul says what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then he goes on to say in verse 37, no. In all these things, you are actually more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But how can you know that? Because the righteous, Habakkuk 2.4, Live by faith. Our faith tells us that's true. And we hold firm to that as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul until he calls us home and then we get to see it. That everything we had hoped for is true. We look back back to God's past faithfulness as we look forward to his future promises that we will receive because he is faithful God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, there's a song about that. Great is thy faithfulness. And God, it is so true. And so I just pray that as we wrap up the service with the song and God, it, it just talks about how we are going to do that. We are going to walk by faith, not by what we see, but by who you are and what we believe in you. God, I pray that it gives us the courage to go out into the world and boldly and confidently live for you. God, my heart needs that stirring to boldly live for you in all things, not just here where I'm surrounded by fellow believers, but even out there, that whatever comes our way, whatever happens, God, may we have just that extra joy about us because it's not based in these circumstances, it's based in who you are. So God, I pray that you do the work that you can to strengthen our hearts, to live for you and everything. And it's in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.